and happy Halloween. As you might have expected, this is our favourite holiday and we've got the perfect guests for a special Halloween episode. Xander Harris is going to join us. He's just released his album California Chrome on Rock Action Records out of Glasgow. We'll start an interview with him in a few minutes after a bit of seasonal death rock.
congratulations on the record release, Sander, and happy Halloween. So the last time we spoke to you was at the end of May, uh, actually the night before we left Austin for Korea, and we were talking about the label that you're involved with, Somatic, and what it was like to be in a very marginal and niche part of the Austin music complex. And then, in what seemed like moments after we left, the whole Austin synth scene like, just blew up. And a lot of this was on the back of Survive and the Stranger Things soundtrack. But your new album's getting plenty of attention, and there have been a couple of front page features in the Austin Chronicle, a big feature on Bandcamp Daily. So all that must feel really good. Um, it's a bit weird. <laughs> uh, you know, um, it's a pleasant surprise. Uh, I was very humbled and appreciative of the guys in Survive mentioning everybody else in the scene. Uh, they've been very, they've been very, very cool, and they have been, they've paid it forward on so many different occasions. It's, it's really, honestly, it's refreshing. Um, yeah, I, I mean. I honestly couldn't, I mean, the record came out at the best time. I mean, it, it's awesome. Uh, if I seem at a loss of, for words, I am. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's been strange uh, in a good way. It's been, I, I just, uh, I'm very appreciative and very thankful uh, for the, the attention that we've received, everybody. And uh, so does it feel really unprecedented by comparison to your, your previous releases? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a niche, like kind of cult dude, and I'm cool with that. Um, I, 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 I mean, I obviously have ambitions and aspirations. I would love, I'd love to tour more. I'd love to play more. I'd love to do more records. I'd love for it to be, um, you know, I would love to reach a wider audience, uh, which I hope that this, with this exposure and everything really happens. I mean, it, it's great. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been really cool. It, it is unexpected for sure. I mean, I, when the first, when the first record came out, six years ago almost um yeah i was like all right that's cool you know i mean i honestly kind of thought that was gonna be the best of it, the best that it got mm -hmm. you know so i i i'm pleasantly surprised <laughs> i honestly just i i you know it's you know totally understand and uh we're super happy for you thank you so there must be some syntax in Austin that haven't received the same attention yet i just wondered if there's anybody that you wanted to mention is worth checking out Sure. Uh, so uh, Melissa Cha, who is the person who directed my Night Fortress video, she's in a project called La Chain that I absolutely adore. I think that they will get a lot more of a profile in 2017, um, but I do think that a lot of people have kind of not really paid much attention to them. Uh, TV Honest is another band that I really like. Uh, well, it's one guy. Uh, great synthesizer music. Um, my friend Erica is doing some noise stuff, which I think is really great. Erica Boyd, she's she's amazing too. And I mean, honestly, there, I could go down the list. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, there's so many, I, I don't know where to begin. Um, Dylan Cameron, who I believe is finally kind of starting to get more exposure. He just released a record on Holodeck that I think is one of the best albums, especially in house in the last like five, maybe 10 years, because he kind of goes through all the different permeations of house music. Like there's a little bit of acid, there's a little bit of this, there's a little bit of that. I mean, he's just so, 
He's so well versed, but he can dip in and out of all of these different subgenres of of techno with the greatest to bees that I find really refreshing. Um, Shane English is another guy I think who's going to have a record out on Lies um, is really good. Um, there's this guy Robert who puts on parties at Tamale House. Um, he does his own like minimal wave techno kind of stuff. He's amazing. Uh, he does really great hardware sets that I just really like. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just so there's so much. It's it's great. I mean, Austin has a really good music scene, and and it, across all genres. I mean, I I feel blessed to live here in that. I'd say seventy five percent of my favorite bands right now are from Austin. I mean, it's it's kind of nuts. Yeah. You know, it's cool. You know, and I mean, Mike. Uh, who helps run Somatic with me, does Jezebeam, and he is top-notch, one of my favorites, and he's like a mix of, like, this, like, sun, doom thing with, like, synthesizer stuff that I think is is interesting and, and really cool, so... Okay, great.
So with your new album, California Chrome, you've talked a lot in other interviews and on Facebook and SoundCloud about the specific influences that helped to shape it. And I wondered if for this record, there was an attempt to, to weave these into kind of an overarching concept or theme, if you like, perhaps more so on other records. Yeah, other records have been more focused on a narrative via literary influences. Um, a lot of my music comes from, a lot of the inspiration behind my music comes from favorite authors like Brian Keane and other weird fiction authors like Laird Barron, um, Lovecraft. I mean, I'm, I'm a big horror fiction, weird fiction, sci-fi fiction kind of guy. Um, but this one, I kind of took a chance. I wanted to make my own narrative. It, California Chrome has a bit of an open-ended there's a bit of an open-ended thing about it. I I know what it says to me, but I I haven't been extremely explicit in the in the in the story arc of 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 the album because I want people to take different things from it. I can tell you, for me, it's about the exploration of the self and through the occult and how sometimes you can get lost. Uh, you can find these things that, that may seem like good ideas at the time, but there is a darkness underneath that can kind of undermine your life. Um, it's a cautionary, it's, it's a cautionary tale really, uh, about it. It's one thing to lose yourself, but it's one thing to lose yourself so far in an ideal that you have nothing to say anymore. Um, it, it's, it's a claustrophobic record in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, I, I felt a lot of claustrophobia at that time in my life. And so it, instead of it being like kind of a pretend horror, it's, it's a, that record is kind of a personal horror. It's a real horror on a personal level for me. And that there was a lot of demons and stuff that kind of just came to a head that I really hadn't dealt with that I really needed to. And so, yeah, you know, I know that you've mentioned Beyond the Black Rainbow as um, being somewhat influential, and I kind of wondered if, if that was sort of your reading of that film, actually, the sort of poisoning of idealism and the kind of nasty turns that it can take when it's almost, when I guess when it's kind of put into a sort of almost like a kind of vacuum where this idealism was kind of closed off from outside influences and allowed to sort of morph and mutate into something very nasty. Yeah, I, I, I had the opportunity to hang out with the director of that film. He's married to a friend of mine. And uh, this was last South By. And um, that was my interpretation of the movie. And from talking to him, it, it kind of hit the, really hit the nail on the head. Um, there's a weird thing in, in when, you, when you explore a lot of these themes, especially with the occult, that your intentions are good, but it becomes this thing where you get so singular minded that you don't look at, at a, in an objective way, the way that the, like the occult and self-exploration is supposed to enhance your life. It's not supposed to be your life. It's not supposed to be this truncated, very, uh, you know, singular, very small highway, uh, of life experience. And I, I, I personally love beyond the black rainbow because it really, it really kind of, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, when I would like read new age books and stuff and, and hear like a lot of new age books on tapes or, or podcasts or whatever, it kind of frightened me. Mm -hmm. It seemed incredibly disingenuous, like in a very self prophet, prophet, like self prophecy, like kind of way that was like, holy shit, 
like this person's crazy but there is a certain like there is a certain attractiveness to it they have this language the way that they bait you in and that you kind of feel like oh okay but you you are blind to all these other outside forces and it, it gets very weird you know yeah i mean immediately when you started talking about that about that i started thinking about how seductive the um Dianetics commercials were yes. as a kid and yeah. uh, I had no idea what it was about but I knew I wanted to read that book at like seven years old it was super slick advertising and it made it look like all of the secrets of life were contained therein and I was thinking why aren't why aren't my parents buying Dianetics I, I mean true story when I first moved to Austin the Church of Scientology is still on campus and I work at UT and uh, they're on they're on the drag the Guadalupe the main strip there and when I first moved to town, they would ride the bus with the e-meter readings, and they would give you free e-meter readings as a way to kind of suck you in. And I would I would get these free readings because I was just fascinated by these people and their concept and their whole just their deal, right? Yeah. And 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 um, they can't do it anymore because mm -hmm. it's bullshit. But um, I will say I never bought into it, but I. The gear part of me, the technological, the technological part of me, found the whole e-meter auditing like kind of fascinating. Mm. In, in some way, that like kind of self-reflection under the guise of objectivity, this tool that's supposed to help you keep objective, seems attractive. But when you look at the rhetoric of Scientology and the questions that they ask and everything, it's like, no, it's not really open to outside objectivity. It's really like to get you into this streamlined, very thin, narrow line of thinking you know that's terrifying it's so terrifying <laughs> you know so
Well, I know that when it comes to questions about songwriting, every musician is going to answer with some variation on, well, sometimes I try to translate specific ideas into music, and sometimes I just run with whatever comes to me spontaneously. So with the best of intentions to avoid cliched questions and stock responses, I did want to ask you about this because you have been communicative about all these ideas, and they're um, ideas that I'm interested in as well. So I just want to know how they kind of manifested themselves in a practical sense. Like, what is your approach to trying to get these ideas translated into instrumental music? It was difficult this go around. Um, I, I did a lot of jamming. Uh, it was all hardware. I didn't do any really i think there's one vst on one part but it's 95 percent hardware but a lot of it was i would pick a key i would think about a lot of it was meditation a lot of it was self-reflection and before i would start playing i would kind of say to myself like okay what's the theme of this what do you want to say like how are you going to get this across um I can give a few examples. I can say that, um, like Scarlet Deception, which is the first track on the album, there are honestly 40 different versions of that song. Um, each one's different. Uh, it was a lot of jamming and, and a lot of it was um, trying to nail something that I thought was like slick and dancy that was deceptive. Um, it it kind of comes from this Crowleyan concept of using bullshit to get what you want and 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 self-deception and 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 putting these archetypes in to prop yourself up in this way that would make you appear amazing to the outside world it's really not true um dirt is another one the last album it's funny because like the first song and the last song on the album i feel like the most emotional uh in a lot of ways um Dirt's is, is, is the most emotional for sure because it really did come from a place of like an intense place of sadness that I wanted to have a melodic content and be kind of slow because a lot of my stuff has always been very up-tempo and I definitely wanted it to be very contemplative and in, in, in a very like skin, like 80s skinny puppy kind of way that was like a different kind of creepy like that that inner that inner the ability to look inside and say holy shit you know like this bums me out or i really need to pay attention to this or i need to work on this as a human or whatever so a lot of it you know a lot of it is um and a lot of it's minor keys i mean you know minor keys are the key of sadness minor minor keys are are, are really good for like kind of a dark self-reflection you know i very rarely work in major keys um a lot of it is minor keys and and but you can be incredibly melodic in minor keys i feel like in a way that's more cathartic that really can can connect you with people that a way a major key can't really can't i mean I, that's kind of weird to say but take like something like smashing pumpkins today which is like a very major key song and that's like a beautiful song and it's cool and people connect on it, on it, but it's it's kind of like a that song's about suicide, right? Like it's about this dude that wants to fucking kill himself, but it's really happy. <laughs> the music's like really happy in this like Smith's kind of way. So there's this dichotomy mm -hmm. about it that I think is kind of cool. I like to take the minor key, which minor keys are sad. That's the key of ballads, right? But I kind of like to build the tempo up and put like a harmonic minor melody on it to where it's kind of not as straightforward, like it's a little bit skewed where it's like, 
it's melodic, but it's sad too. You know, it, I like I like kind of messing with stuff like that. You know. So it sounds like your approach is pretty systematic, and I wondered if you'd ever experimented with anything like I don't know if you're aware of Zev's attempts at kind of cabalistic percussion yeah. techniques. Are you trying you know those oblique strategies or something like that? Yeah. I've used oblique strategies. I use oblique strategies on this record. I'm I'm super familiar. I mean, I started out as a drummer, percussionist, classically trained, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, piano and drums. But in junior high and high school, I played in band, marching band, concert, jazz, like all that kind of stuff. Um, so rhythm's always been very important to me. And and the one thing that I like to do though is I will jam with non-musicians. I have friends that are noise artists or whatever that don't know shit about music. And I feel like it kind of keeps me honest and keeps me searching in a way, because sometimes musicians get so trained that you do this thing that you always do. And so what I like to do is take my training and take my systematic and kind of structured approach and put a little bit of chaos in there to kind of make it a little bit different. The Kabbalistic approach is really cool. Um, I've always personally really loved that stuff and connected to it was with, with um, Zev's st stuff since, since a teenager. Um, brilliant. It was, it's great to hear someone else bring this up as an example. He, he's far underrated in my opinion. Um, and yeah, oblique strategies like, yeah, I worked on this record for like 14 mm -hmm. months, you know? It was all about just coming out of my comfort zone. I really wanted to push myself to do something different. Um, I'm not really sure it worked. Uh, you know, there have been a few, and I, I, all the reviews have been great, and I'm not sour grapes, so I'm not talking shit. But it's weird to me that people keep talking about John Carpenter when they're talking about this record, because to me, this is the least John Carpenter thing I've ever done. Like, I, I just don't get it, you know? like. It's cool. I love John Carpenter. It's amazing, but but it's definitely one of those things where I'm like, I, yeah, I wasn't going for that. I didn't listen to any of that when I was making the record, like at all. You know? <laughs> I guess maybe if people aren't as familiar with your back catalog and this is the first encounter they've had with your music, it's the, the easiest reference point for them, maybe. But I can totally see where you're coming from. <laughs> sure, and that's fine. It's it's like I said, it's not sour grapes. It's it's a good comparison. It's it's uh, uh, very appreciated. I love John Carpenter. He's amazing. But the first album, yes, this one is perplexing to me because I'm like, it's just not in that world. Even sonically, the the music I was listening to when I did it, the 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 influences that I was kind of pulling from just couldn't be furthest from John Carpenter. You know, like far away you know all right well we're gonna play eye in the triangle now um obviously that title is a little bit loaded with meaning so uh, <laughs> if you want to say anything about it uh, yeah. you're welcome to but um you know we could be here all night presumably sure sure yeah it's about the illuminati <laughs> it's it's very much about the illuminati so
So, Xander, it seems like you've got an affinity for British pastoral horror films like The Wicker Man and Witchfinder General and stuff like that. And I feel like there's kind of a natural kinship with the Ghost Box label in England, which releases kind of a more subdued and restrained version of what people like you and Umberto and the Jello Disco label are doing. So you're kind of the gory 3D American Splatterfest take on it while they offer kind of like a 70s low-budget BBC version. Um, And I wondered if you ever saw yourself doing something a bit less full-on. You kind of hinted at that earlier, actually, when you were talking about the uh, opening and closing tracks on California Chrome. Um, Maybe more akin to the Ghost Box artist? Or are there any side projects you're involved with that are are quite different? Yeah, I mean, I I did send... uh, two songs that I wrote specifically for Ghostbox and I limited myself to gear that was not that would that was pre-1980 gear like it was all old Roland CR78 um old chords and stuff like that like I I and I sent it to them um he just he liked it it was cool he just they're on a they've got a two like they're out mm. two years like I mean they have their whole basically the next two years of their of their catalog are totally planned out, which I was like, all right, well, cool. Well, if you know, get a hole or whatever, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, I, I would love to do more subdued stuff. I put that material up into an EP on my Bandcamp site for like a dollar for free. I think I did it for free, um, just because you know it was just a cool experiment. I I love Ghostbox. I think they're genius. Um, and, and, and I think it's because I grew up on Hammer films when I was a kid. My mom's a big classic movie fan. So I grew up on like Gorgon and Christopher Lee and like all these like amazing old, old films. And so I, I totally love that stuff. And how do you feel about the uh, horror disco genre tag, uh, which has been applied to you and many of your kin? I embrace it wholeheartedly. I'm totally cool. Like I, I love Jalo Disco and Anton and those guys. They're, mm-hmm. they're they're really good friends of mine, and and I mean, I think it's great because I mean, if you look at even the old Argento and Bava films and stuff like that, they they're disco. It's a mix of mm-hmm. prog and old disco, and and I like the Italians were unafraid to embrace disco. I mean, it is mm-hmm. kind of like a pre-revolutionary like revolutionary genre, you know? It's, it's a cool, I think it's cool. Or I, I love it, you know, so. Cool, well, we are gonna play a track by Umberto from his new album, Alienation, which came out a few months before California Chrome. Um, yeah, I know you're a fan, right? Huge, huge. I think this new Umberto record is his best album. How it's known on everybody's year-end list or hasn't been blown up or talked about more than it has is beyond me. I think it's, I mean, he's a really good friend of mine. I always say brother from another mother, like we're actually really close. I, I love Matt a lot. Um, uh, it's one of his most like emotionally vulnerable naked records. It's just a beautiful album. And, and I wish it was, I wish it was set in the same way that like Stranger Things would survive and all that. Like yeah, I think yeah. the quality is just, It's just a brilliant album, you know.
right, you're listening to Extra Noir. We are back with Sander Harris. Um, so we've been talking about movies, and I just wondered if you have been offered any opportunities for soundtrack work, since it seems like it's something that you'd be exceedingly well suited to. I have one thing in the works. We'll see. Um, always a bridesmaid, never a bride in that <laughs> particular area. I would love to, I mean, I have wanted to be... I, I, something that I've wanted to do since I was a kid. Um, I mean, obviously, I grew up on horror movies. I I love soundtracks, and I am glad in the in, in the time that we're at in music history that um, a lot of these these soundtrack composers and artists and stuff are are being legitimized. I can tell you, as a child, late teens, when I was horribly teased for liking John Carpenter. And Angelus and Goblin and a lot of this stuff like oh that's cheesy blah 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 like you were very maligned if you if you talked about that kind of stuff. Um, interestingly enough, like six years ago, I mean I started Zinger Harrison in two thousand nine, so seven years ago. Um, and when you would say like oh John Carpenter, Tangerine Dream, and all this kind of stuff, like people would laugh at you, you know. But it's mm-hmm. interesting the zeitgeist that's kind of come around because you have like me and Umberto and Antonio Miovi and. Uh, Versetti Technicolor and, and Survive and like all these other people so there's like this thing that bubbled up I don't know if it's if it was because we were all like fuck you I'm gonna do this anyway this shit's cool you know mm-hmm. I mean we're friends with all of these people and we're all very similar uh, and and the ironic thing is none of us knew who any of us were so it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool how this zeitgeist kind of happened you know without any of us knowing each other but I love soundtracks. I would love to do soundtracks. I, I mean, honestly, I always saw myself as, as, as somebody who would work in film. You know, I mm-hmm. never saw myself. I mean, I play drums. I play in bands. I've, I've always been in bands and, and stuff like that. Like, but, but the two were always very separate to me. You know, like, uh, even when you listen to, like, Pobleva, you know, like, mm-hmm. like my Pobleva, like, favorite records, and you have my Pobleva, like, favorite, like, Werner Herzog, you know, soundtracks. Like, mm-hmm. There's always a separation. Uh, these days, it's not so much. I mean, like, even in, like with with Austin, like with the like, explosions in the sky, like you listen to the Friday Night Lights soundtrack, you listen to the record. There's really no differentiation. They're both great, you know. And yeah, yeah. Like I like that that's starting to be a thing again. You know, like mm-hmm. I like that the public and musicians are starting to be taken seriously. Like people are paying attention to the music that's in movies, and and I think that's cool because for a long time. People just didn't care. It's not that they didn't care. It just wasn't. It wasn't something that you thought of. But then, I'll talk to my father, who is a huge. I love westerns. He loves westerns. We bond over westerns. You can think about Ennio Morricone and like, you know, these Sergio Leone movies, and and mm-hmm. and that was the soundtrack of his generation. You know, he mm-hmm. was talking about the soundtrack of like the Wild Bunch and like you know, or True Grit or like these like movies, you know, and like. Or Dr. Zhivago, like my mom's like a big movie. I, I grew up with movies, like my mom's a big classic movie fan, I, and just movies were constantly in my house. And so then they all had, which I, I have and kept, they bought the vinyl when they came out of the soundtracks. And it was a thing, right. you talked about the soundtracks of these films. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it take, you know, I come home, have a glass of wine, listen to The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. You know, like it's so great, that's super cool. And I like that as a society we're kind of getting back to that you know it's like oh well this was like 
my two favorites right now are like Sicario and, and Under the Skin. Those are two of the best modern movie soundtracks I've heard in years. Mm-hmm. And they're weird. They're totally Yeah, yeah, totally. Parts of them sound like throbbing gristle, but it totally mm-hmm. works and people have actually really identified with it. And I think that's I think it's great, you know. So long story short, hopefully I have I don't okay. think that I get this. Like I, I hope. I it'll be nuts. I can't really talk about it, but It'll be it'll be insane if it works out. <laughs> and uh, still on the same topic, I think we should do something Halloweeny and uh, have you list just a few of your favorite horror movies, maybe from both ends of the spectrum. So the kind of intelligent and artsy, and like the pure schlock. All right, all right. Um, uh, I can give you my top five artsy. Top five artsy are. Uh, um, I like the Sentinel. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe that would be considered schlock, but I think it's cool. It's a good '70s movie. Uh, I think it's arty. Uh, Wicker Man. I think it's great on the art end. Um, the Shining. It's funny. I have a love-hate relationship with The Shining. I love it as a as, on a technical standpoint. I hate it as an adaptation of Stephen King's book, The Shining. Uh-huh. I, I, I'm not a fan of of Jack Nicholson's performance. It's too. In the book, the character is so just like. It takes a while for him to like completely descend into madness. In the first scene with The Shining, as brilliant as it is, you're like, this guy's a fucking insane lunatic. You know? <laughs> it's just like that part I don't really care for. But as a film, it is amazing. Um, Deep Red, I love Deep Red. Mm-hmm. I think that one's great. And um, I mean, The Exorcist. Honest, mm-hmm. like as far as like art horror movies go, that's my number one. I think The Exorcist is like the shit. That movie is so good, like just brutally amazing um, and gross and fucked up and sacrilegious. I mean, I grew up Catholic, so it was like on so many levels. It just worked. <laughs> B movies, like super shitty, just like whatevs, like just like no art involved. Phantasm, mm-hmm. love Phantasm. Uh, all of them I mean there's I haven't met a Phantasm movie I didn't like Uh, (laughs) I really really like cheesy shit like I love Hellraiser all of them but they're shitty I love them cheesy Uh, Candyman I think is great really really love the first actually like the first two Candyman movies those are the second ones I think the second one's good um my absolute favorite is Evil Dead 2. That is a ridiculous movie and so dumb, but I love it. And then, and then, I mean, my all-time B, like, shitty B-movie is Pieces. Like, I got to see Umberto last year and Melendo Colin do a rescore of that, and that is a brilliant, brilliant slasher movie and just, but awful. There's really nothing yeah. redeemable about it, but it's, you know, like, I just, I don't know. I love it, you know. That's on my list to watch this month. I remember, uh, I think the Alamo Drafthouse in Austin had a, it might have been like the um, Terror Tuesday screen or something like that. They, yeah, they played it, um, and I'm really annoyed that I didn't go. So, yeah, I've yet to see that. I seem to remember it being, uh, I'd seen the box in the video store when I was a kid, um, you know, which is kind of where I got introduced to, you know, you know like most kids in the 80s, most films. And uh, it's funny how you can kind of like, 
I would spend so much time in the video store, like looking at all these sort of forbidden R-rated movies and like reading the backs of the boxes and everything. You know, you almost kind of like invent the movie in your head. Um, so there's a bunch of movies from that era yeah. that I feel like I've actually seen when I haven't. So I need to go back and uh, chase them all up. Often they'll probably disappoint me because they won't live up to uh, what I'd imagined. It's so much fun. You'll have fun. It'll be a pleasant surprise. Like honestly, like I remember uh, Toby Hooper's Eaten Alive. Have you ever seen that? Uh, the cannibal movie or like it's like it's like so. right after it's like right after texas chainsaw massacre it's a really it's a pretty cool but crazy movie um low budget gross mm-hmm. um i remember seeing the the box for it at the video store in my hometown and i never rented it because you had to be 18 yeah. and up and i was like 15 and it was just like this like you know thing and when i finally saw it i had like two reactions it was like one dude this is so not that fucked up <laughs> but like, two it was like but this is cool this is, is kind of as cool as i imagined yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? like you still wind up having fun with it right. you know so like i always recommend like as a child if you had that like kind of like holy shit what is that i really want to yeah, see, yeah. see it anyway even if right. it's <laughs> even if it sucks okay, it'll be fun Cool. Well, we're um, going to close this with Night Fortress from your, your first album, which I have to say is probably still my favorite album of yours, although I haven't really spent as much time with California Chrome as I'd like. So um, I will definitely give that more attention. But yeah, I totally love uh, the new Dark Age of Love, maybe because it's the only one I've got on vinyl and I have a certain physical bond with it that I don't have with the other ones. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think it's a great record, and this opening track is killer. So if there's anything you want to say about that, then you're welcome to. Yeah, Nine Fortress was a, a that was one of the most which I'd mentioned her band LaChange. She did the video for, and I, I was very appreciative because it's my favorite. It's my favorite video of anything I've done. Uh, that that any any song that I have that's had a video made is my favorite. Um, New Dark Age of Love is a slow burn, you know, for mm-hmm. me. Uh, it, it was pretty maligned on release and then people kind of came around to it uh, a year later um, and so um, yeah I, I that that record still kind of my favorite you know I, I, I really love that record um, it did get a lot of love but I really love it no I think it is a little bit of a, a slow burner I remember when I got it I I think I was familiar with a couple of your your later tracks, um, but I think that was the first LP that I bought of yours. And then, yeah, it wasn't quite what I was expecting right off the bat. And then, um, you know, the more I listened to it, and again, having it on vinyl meant that, you know, I played it from beginning to end several times. I actually really like every single track on the album. So anyway, yeah, this is Night Fortress. Thank you very much, Sander, for joining us. And congrats again on the release of the new record. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me. I right, really appreciate easy. it. This is the beginning of the journey, or the end.